talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing, the podcast where here in 2021, we take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, in a bit more socialist leftist critique of the series. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today we are dealing with another two episodes charging to what will be our next episode, The Supremes. We've been trying to just, (laughs) yeah, seriously, air horns. We've been trying to blaze through season five, which is just bad, as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. So we're doing another two for one here. And our first one is all about, well, it's kind of all about a lot of things. It's not really one central thing, but if there yeah. was a central thing, I guess it would be the Hoynes and CJ plot. So well, we I might think as it's, well... There, there are enough things going on where I think it's... So the title of the episode is Full Disclosure, and it's basically an episode about CJ getting owned a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, f- the things full, that happen... Full Disclosure is the name of the Hoynes book. Yes. So the things that happen kind of center around CJ is taking L's here, mm-hmm. whereas usually she is the one that's just absolutely on top of things, completely mm-hmm. consummate professional. We love CJ. You know, I'm a huge mm-hmm. CJ stan. She's my fave. Yeah. But there, there's audio evidence throughout all of our old episodes where we constantly rave that she's the only good character uh, most of the time has... Yeah, unfortunately, this episode, she gets blindsided by a lot of things. The main things being Hoynes is dropping a book, uh, which is basically step one of his pre-campaigning for president next time around, uh, where he's going to, like, tell all about his affair and, you know, do a big sort of mea culpa and come, it's called Full Disclosure, again, the title of the episode, and come clean about, you know, everything wrong he did, which also happily includes uh, smearing the Bartlett White House a ton in the book. (laughs) Basically trying to deflect onto the administration the shit that he did wrong. Exactly. So, uh, So that he can tie it all to Bartlett so that he'll be nice and clean when he runs uh, the next time around. Yeah, and so the central scandal is obviously, like, the affair, mm-hmm. which was, if everybody remembers, with the woman who I believe is writing the book, right? Wasn't it the go- with his the gossip, ghostwriter? Uh, yeah, the gossip columnist or whatever, or whoever it was, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and so the the hook of the crisis is that there is an advanced copy of the manuscript mm-hmm. out there somewhere in the press corps, and... CJ and the administration are basically scrambling to get ahead of, and of we're just getting so fucking meta here. It's like yeah. ahead of the coverage of the book that intends to smear the administration's reaction to the affair. Correct. Yes, we're, we're on like 50 levels here of, <laughs> of PR worrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the basically, and so she goes through this whole rigmarole with a reporter where they do a bunch of weird cloak and dagger bullshit that seems completely unnecessary. Yeah, as you wrote way about, way out of proportion, like yeah. of, to the, to what's happening here. Like you're 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 where all she wants a... is info on the story about the book, basically. <laughs> That's and, all she wants. And, 
And like we have a scene where the guy, the guy blatantly—it's a book that is going to be published. It is like public information, by the way. This is not top secret, classified government info to, to give context. Go like, on. No, no, nobody will die, be hurt, or no government programs will be influenced by what happens with this. It's literally just about the administration's reputation, right? Uh, well, so from, from a book that the old VP is writing. <laughs> well, actually, so. Let's roll this back before we get too far into it. The opening like sequence of this episode, CJ goes on what's essentially crossfire. Oh right, yes. Sorry. Shows we, up. We totally she, bypassed that the Jay Moore bit. Jay Moore, everyone. Jay yeah, Moore's Jay in this Moore. episode. A guy who I'm assuming is still alive. Like, you know, he 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 plays a, a Tucker Carlson equivalent, basically. Right. Yeah. He's a he's a Fox News pundit. Who keeps uh in the p- past couple episodes? There's actually been backstory about him calling her chicken, and mm-hmm. we've seen his show. What's his name? Taylor something. Taylor, I, yeah, whatever. Uh, Taylor something. Uh, and he, yeah, he keeps calling her out, and she actually went on the show and got owned, and then <laughs> decides to go on the show again. Go on the show again <laughs> to to get what owned more because. She, <laughs> It's like, like I said here, it's this liberal fantasy of like, no, no, no. If you just go on there and you explain the argument in the right way, they'll have to admit that you are correct and you'll win the point, well, you know, as opposed to what actually happens is anytime she makes a reasonable point, Jay Moore goes, whatever, you guys love abortion. Gay. <laughs> it's, it's almost literally those words in that tone, because basically like, and this, this sums up to me, this sums up the world of the West Wing brain in like mm-hmm. a cutesy little thing where it's, it's just this and then the end of the next episode, which I'll get to when we get to it. Ooh, but go, okay. Go yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, and it's also like, it ties into that God awful, like the Sorkin, like the newsroom scene where the mm-hmm. guys are on the plane and they stand <laughs> and they stand up and they're just like, right. hello, we're very important news people. And right. we're here we're, to tell you the act of giving news to someone is treated with the <laughs> utmost importance. <laughs> And so in scenes like this, you have CJ attempting to give the news to people. And there's mm-hmm. this there's this pervasive belief among these the, the type of people who, you know, lionize this show that it's like, oh, if you just if you just go on and use the right words, everybody's mm-hmm. going to like everybody's going to stand up and clap and then you'll mm-hmm. win. And it's like there mm-hmm. is no fucking winning on television you're going on their turf (laughs) like they control the entire environment and they if they can cut your mic at any point they want to and there's there's post-production like these shows i mean i guess some of them are this one i I feel like it's supposed to be live the one that yeah that they're in because they act you know they film it like it's live but yeah for the most part these are edited shows and so you can, it is impossible to win that argument, but nope, we're yeah. going to keep fucking that chicken and yeah. just going on, on the air live to just get owned over and over again. And so this is this, the reason we bring this up is that plot wise, Jay Moore's character says, Hey, you know, we're getting, we're getting word on the street that there's this, you know, salacious new detail about you in the Hoynes mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. or some and shit. It's like, did the president help try to cover up the affair? Or, or like that, I think that's like the yeah, early leak um, that they're yeah. most concerned about because then that leads CJ to grill the president and Leo about what did you guys say to Hoynes when he came out to you guys about the affair uh, in <sighs> that conversation they had off 
off of the Oval <laughs> Office in that little area there, you know, where we see the woods and there's that one bench where Bartlett smokes sometimes. Yeah, well, and interesting here that they shout out, they shout out Drudge Report. Um, yeah, on the I show, mean, and this they've is, done that before. Yeah. They've, they've which said is actually Matt really, like, it's actually really interesting. It's um, I hadn't thought about it before, he, but being he was like the that's first a, online like pundit to be taken quote unquote seriously. Well, and I mean, this is this is a network fictional television program, so this is you know ostensibly a big profile boost for the guy, right? Right. At yeah. the time. Yeah. No one in 2003 or four knows <laughs> Drudge Report other than extremely politics weirdos. Yeah. And I'm I'm assuming at the time he was like milquetoast centrist before something broke in his brain, either in 2004 or when Obama got elected. Probably when Obama got elected. <laughs> and just like everybody else. Um, For the usual reasons. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she goes and grills the president and Leo about, Hey, what did you guys actually say? Because if you really did try to cover up for Hoynes, let me know now so we can, you know, PR spin it or whatever. And they, they have this like semantic back and forth about like, Leo, did you call her a cheap whore? It's like, no, I said she was a cheap person. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. I, I didn't use the word. <laughs> it's a, I just implied it. And like, you know, it's like, well, did you say that you would help cover it up? I said, no, I asked him, are you in a position to deny it? And it's like every answer they give, CJ just kind of rolls her eyes like, okay, yeah, that's a lot better. I, and I, I, again, it's just, this is so many levels down of spin and interception and right. stuff that they have this ludicrous scene when she finally nails down the reporter who's got like the article coming out about the book mm-hmm. where they sit in her office mm-hmm. and he does the like he's got like a manila envelope and he does the whoops mm-hmm. I dropped my monster you know <laughs> tape zip oh it's a zip disk I dropped my monster zip <laughs> disk zip that disc. I use for my magnum story like, yeah. on the ground which is a, a beautiful little dating detail by the way that it's a fucking zip disk <laughs> oh man do we all remember zip disks <laughs> remember zip disks everyone <clears throat> so anyway and he does this and it's just like he, <laughs> I don't it's just so it's so ludicrously filmed because mm-hmm. they have extended reaction shots of both him and CJ looking at each other and being like, "Yep, ba bum." <laughs> there, there's a disc on the ground. There, it's just like it is. It's it feels very patronizing of the audience, where they're just like, <laughs> "Did you see what he did there?" And that's like what not I mean even by- bothering with the wink. That's what I mean by this is the central story of the episode, even though it's <laughs> such a dumb one. Where it's getting so far into the weeds of, like, PR spin of a minor issue that, like... Yeah, and so, again, also, like, they're just in her office with the door closed. He could have just, like, handed it to her and said, I did this. Yeah, Or, like, told everybody it was an accident. (laughs) Who's gonna... Like, who's going to ask the question? Yeah, like, uh, she calls him earlier and says, like, if you want to meet in a garage with the, you know, with our headlights on, which, funny enough, this show did before with the polling that one time. Well, so I'd also like to, this is the one trivia fact that I really enjoyed about this episode, the Easter egg, is that, so the reporter that she's talking to is Mm -hmm. played by, the actor's name is Sam Robards. So Mm -hmm. Jason Robards is his father. Jason Robards, 
the actor who played Ben Bradley in All the President's Men. So the dark parking garage comment referenced All the President's Men with Robert Redford in the garage. He played Ben Bradley, who was the chief editor of the Washington Post at the huh. time. Pretty cool. It's his son who's this reporter. Um, you know, one of the kind of quintessential politics movies. So Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, and then the, so this whole thing wraps up with CJ confronting Hoynes directly. And this is where a huge (laughs) retcon is pulled out about CJ's character, where we find out that she is one of Hoynes' women that he cheated on his wife with. uh, At some point during the campaign, I guess. Um, I think it's meant to be implied that they, they hooked up and CJ goes at him with like a very sort of you know, liberal feminist idea of, like, if you, you know... Well, ironically, what she ends up describing is the exact treatment that, like, Tara Reid got of, like... (laughs) Where she's like, if you go and try to smear these women and call them liars and gaslight them and whatever, I will fucking be there and I will air all of my dirty laundry and tell them that we fucked and, and all that and whatnot and that you cheated on your wife and you're a scumbag and whatever... And, and it's just and, like, why did you need to pull this like massive character retcon out for this cheap drama? Because I and because it, it, it just makes it, it makes CJ look stupid. It, to it be wasn't honest. that long ago either. So it's not like you can resort to being, you know, oh, this young impressionist, like impressionable. Right. Like she was already a grown woman. In. Yeah, yeah. She, she was a grown-ass woman when she joined the campaign. She was already, like, the high-powered Hollywood PR executive type. Yeah, so, yeah, arguably, it just makes, arguably it just like, makes CJ look like like a cheap homewrecker or whatever, or, like, or an idiot for falling for whatever Hoynes' game is. Well, and arguably, like, she was steeped in this world already. Like, you mentioned that she used to work in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It... It, it cannot possibly be the first yeah. time yeah it can't that be like oh my god this sort a, of a, thing a powerful person oh yeah. my I'm, stars i'm weak in the knees <laughs> yeah yeah like she's not that type of character so i don't know like if she went for it just because she felt like she wanted hoins i guess good for her she got what yeah. she wanted but hey uh, but, but then you can't come back and just be like right this was of my volition like you didn't and we're, we're imputing a lot of made-up consent politics to something right. that is basically not at all thought out. It's just dropped right. like a bomb in the middle yeah. of this episode. It's really, really bizarre retcon for, for no good reason, like I said, other than just cheap drama. Uh, but And then that, that basically ends the C.J. Hoynes plot for the episode. And then we could talk yes. about the other. The other, uh, they're more minor, <sighs> but e- each one has an interesting little wrinkle to it, subplots. So, there's the other thing that's going on is apparently they're having um, like trade disputes are going mm-hmm. on at a high level. And so they, they bring in they got the, the union guys, the AFL-CIO guy who is literally the, just the like union guy. <laughs> the quintessential like lineman meathead. I love, him. you know, <laughs> yeah. And so they bring him in and talk with Toby and Toby keeps on like getting called in and called out of this meeting. And so the union's. You know, the union right. guys are feeling disrespected. <laughs> yeah, and, and the whole time, Toby's like, I, I really respect you guys. Sorry about the fold-out chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and they don't, I don't even remember where the union thing 
goes, like, other than just some extremely bizarro, like, Freakonomics-style connections Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. economic power with importing of women's undergarments. Right, so yeah, they're freaking out about Chinese bras. Bras. Chinese bras. Uh, And then, of course, this is hilarious in to the West Wing writers and they will keep bringing up bras bras because bras a funny word isn't it <laughs> I'm I'm laughing so much oh my bo- boobies are funny aren't they America <laughs> like uh, government people talking about bras but yeah they're worried about Chinese import of of cheap bras is undercutting American steel um, who makes the wire for good, underwire, good old fa- yeah. the underwire for good old fashioned American bras, God damn it, <laughs> made here in the US of A. And then so yeah, it ends up becoming a thing where like, well, there if you guys want to activate this like trade protection loophole that we have like buried away, where we can like put a tariff on the Chinese bras, then the Chinese are not gonna do this thing that's gonna help out American automakers get cheap steel. Mm, or something mm-hmm. like that. And then the labor guy's like, oh, well, you know what the automakers are going to say, you know? And they're like, all right, well, we got to go talk to all the unions about, well, isn't trade complicated? Like, that seems to be the moral here. It's like, oh, trade's so complicated. Well, and, I mean, it's it also, it's just quintessential where it's just like, well, we'll let the, the smart, the egghead people figure this out. Mm-hmm. And then you never see it be figured, figured out or treated ever again. Mm-hmm. It's like, um... All right, and then I want to put the clip in here because, holy shit, if I'm going to clip anything out of this episode, there's just a really excellent reaction when they're talking about importation of women's undergarments here. If you learn one thing in prep school, it's how to pretend like you always know what's going on. Rena said Toby's stuck in some Chinese bra thing and can't... Do the Chinese even need bras? I mean, you know. No, I don't know. Some of us are trying to govern here, Josh. Wow! Thanks, Josh. (laughs) Thanks. Like, are you fucking kidding? What, what, how do you make that connection? Why do you put those stereotypes together? What? It's it's both racist and sexist. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) Just the the twofer, the double whammy. You got it in there. Incredible, like, galaxy, like, oh, yes, I'm just going to hammer it here. So to... A deep special to, like, fuck you to whoever wrote this line. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, seriously. Uh, Oh, which reminds me, earlier in the episode, there's this extremely off-putting joke about, like, oh, don't the yen and the yawns or wands sound alike? And, like, haha, I can't tell Asian cultures apart, (laughs) is the joke. (laughs) (laughs) The the joke is that, like... In a, in a real appreciation of this, like, sentiment would be, the joke is that I'm too fucking stupid to understand two words that are spelled differently. And, and I work at the highest levels of the White House. Oh my god. I, these, like, are supposed yes. to be, these are supposed to be the meritocratic best of our best, remember? <laughs> so, uh, we, have, uh, we have that which, casual of, racism. Yeah, speaking of Josh, that springboards into another subplot, which is Josh is working on the Military Base Closing Commission, which every couple years or so determines where they want to close military bases. But uh, if you try to actually close a military base in anyone's district, they are going to freak the hell out because military bases means jobs. So. Yes. 
we get Donna and Ryan sitting in because most of the time Josh is being called away for dealing with other stuff. And then they end up having to just sit there and be like, mm, we will effectively do nothing. Well, yeah. So like basically Josh just says, just do whatever the general like across the table tells you to do. Right. And just like shut the fuck up because Ed and, and Larry uh, are in there uh, for a occasion, bit. Occasionally ask, how much money will that save? Yeah. <laughs> which, Lo- which love Don- to save money. Which I love Donna immediately, just like immediately takes that up and is and it, it, it works <laughs> yeah. perfectly. And the general just moves right on to his next talking point. Yeah, yeah it, it works exactly as, as Josh expects it to work. Um, yeah. And then Ryan Pierce gets to go politicking, yes. which is actually the, I think the only redeeming part of this episode yeah. is Ryan Pierce gets some excellent owns yeah. in on Josh. So this is really actually kind of clever where he... He's just bored as hell, and then, so he gets bored, and he cooks up an idea in his mind, and he's like, he's like, what, well, okay, they mentioned some base, and he's like, well, that, we should close that base, it sounds shitty, it, it does, like, Arctic warfare, and we're training for Iraq, you know, so why don't we close it? It's like, well, it's in Congressman X's district, I forget the guy's name, and if, you know, if you try to close it, he'll pitch a fit, and so he calls up Congressman X, Ryan does, and is like, hey, you should come down to the military base closing commission, they're gonna close your base. And <laughs> and then the guy comes down there and starts immediately, like, ranting about, like, you can't fucking close this base, it provides, like, thousands of jobs to the good constituents of wherever the fuck Wyoming I'm from, or upstate New York, I think it was, because it's Arctic Warfare. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so he starts ranting, and Josh comes back and sees this going on and, like, flips out and is like, okay, Ryan, you're fucking fired. And Ryan's like, yeah, that's good. Give, give me more. Come at yeah. me hard. And he's yeah. like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm really going to, like, kill you. And Ryan's like, no, don't you get it? Now you get to come in and be the hero and say, like, no, 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 we're not going to close your base, man. I got you. And then he is going to love you and do whatever the hell you want from now on. And all it costs you is this dumbass performance we're having right now. And Josh yeah. is like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> it, like, it takes him a while to figure it out, but then he's like, that's actually kind of brilliant. If I had the brain of an actual political operator, I could have set this up at the outset. Yeah, like he's supposed to be the Rom Emmanuel who sees these kinds of angles or whatever, and here he is getting outschooled by the dumbass Chad frat bro (laughs) from from fucking Yale or whatever. Yeah. So that's good. By like baby's first Machiavellian maneuver. (laughs) Baby's first manipulating people. Manipulation 101. Yeah. But yeah, and it works and it works effectively. And it's fun to watch Ryan because Jesse Bradford plays it really well. And and he's just, he's the only one having fun in like the entire cast, it feels like. Yeah, actually, I I mean, I've kind of noticed that as well, where it's, I think it's one of the, the choices this season that they make <clears throat> that actually works out almost better than they, I imagine, were hoping. Because dude's like, you know, he's a B minus tier actor whose right. claim to yeah, fame I'm was not, he I'm was not in saying Hackers once. Yeah, I'm not saying he's giving a powerhouse performance. I'm just saying no, it looks but, like he's having fun and he's engaging and with it. And again, I think that's what that's why it works better than we had expected because exactly. he's just he's a breath of fresh air in this regard mm-hmm. where everybody else is just eating the scenery all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's um it's you know that's the point of guest stars and 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 a role like this is to bring 
breathe a life of fresh air in and he's doing a good job with it. So that's the only like positive bit of this episode to me was the Ryan Pierce uh, plot line. So there is one last sort of through bit mm-hmm. here, which is again, more casual racism masquerading mm-hmm. as centrist <laughs> policy where <laughs> uh, they are debating um, the Washington DC budget because in Congress. <laughs> yep. Because as we, as all of us politics heads know, you know, the Washington DC municipal budget is the only one that's controlled by the federal legislature. They bring that point up like five times in the like the small amount of time we deal with this subplot. <laughs> yes, yes. If you weren't aware at the beginning of the episode, you're definitely aware now. <laughs> you certainly will be. Yeah. So co- Congress is fucking with it, and they're trying to pass some like voucher bill. The Republicans are uh, that will give like you know 200 vouchers to like the whole district, so that 200 kids can go to the good private school while all the rest of tens of thousands of kids languish in the terrible public schools that we will now ignore because we're concentrating on the voucher program. Yeah, and all of that money that could be otherwise equally distributed just goes to, you know, a couple hundred Mm high-performing, high-achieving kids who we don't want to say it will probably be white. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um, no no kidding. So they, they, they just, they... Deliberately, they make the mayor of Washington, D.C. a black man. Right. Ironically, here's one position where the Bartlett White House has the right position on the issue. And and now it's the outsider who comes in and tells them that they're wrong about it. But like, you know, from the like the leftist perspective, no vouchers is absolutely the right side of the issue. Yeah. And they they actually go a little. The administration goes a little hard on it. Yeah. They should say, no, we should be improving public schools, which is, of course, the correct take. And, but the DC mayor guy is like, but man, these 200 kids, you know, I could really help like 200 kids. Don't you understand? That's just the amount of incremental change that we need. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure it's supposed to be like a Marion Barry analog because again, you know, a a black mayor of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Washington, uh, of DC, like it's, Kind of like that's that's the stereotype to which we fall back all mm-hmm. the time. Like in in political memory, it's Marion Barry was the the kind of just quintessential DC sure. mayor. But we get this guy, a the you know the writers choose to make him a black man, and mm-hmm. then they choose to basically bring Charlie in and say mm-hmm. Charlie and have him fanboy out for the DC mayor. Yeah, and endorsed school vouchers. And we've seen this before where not only the phenomenon, but specifically with relates to Charlie's opinions on charter schooling. I believe there was back in season three um, a specific scene written where he says like, I would have done whatever it took to get to, the fuck out of right, you know Foggy get, Bottom or whatever to the get hell. me and my sister into the good charter school. Yeah, uh, and that's basically the exact same take he has this time. He's like, man, if there was a voucher program, I would want in it. And like the the ex- the counter to that is Charlie, you weren't you were make you wouldn't make the cut. <laughs> like you're <laughs> you're not gonna be one of the two hundred. <laughs> well, yeah, and also Charlie is just a and. I love Dulé Hill, and, like, this character is also, back in, you know, at the time, it was nice to see the representation on the screen as a main part of the cast, right. etc. But 
his it's just so often used to put to do the white man uh-huh. black man uh-huh. Uh-huh. yep and thing. that's exactly what this is no they love vouchers you guys yeah that's so. basically what this is and yeah so that and that's pretty much it though any any final thoughts on this subplot or anything else in this episode? <laughs> I mean, the only last thing, Charlie, is that they also managed to get him to, you know, use some slang to be like, yo, what up, CJ? That TV, TV host guy who roasted you is a punk word. <laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, just the writing calm is just... down. Uh, it's a lot <laughs> clunkier overall. I just noticed that. Like, the jokes don't hit. Not that this was, like, a laugh-out-loud show, but, like, I used to giggle from the jokes, and now it's, like, very rare. <laughs> and, you know... Everything's, everything's clunkier, writing-wise. Like, we gave Sorkin a lot of shit, deservedly so, but to see inferior people attempt to ape his style is a level beyond. <laughs> well, because they get mired in the casual sexism and racism. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're like, oh no, but we need that part of the style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, But that's what's fun. Uh, no, maybe think again. Anyway, let's uh, take a brief break here and move on to episode two. It's time to get things started on the sensational, inspirational, celebrational, muppetational. This is what we call the Muppet Show. And welcome back. So the second episode is mostly about one of the Bartlett daughters, Ellie Bartlett, and a uh, what is really a trivial political scandal, but becomes the huge giant scandal of the episode. Uh, where her testing lab, where she works doing research on human papillomavirus, virus, HPV, uh, gets, like, scandalized because they find out that they, it receives government funding and yet they study sex workers, uh, gasp, and heroin addicts. <sighs> double gasp. I, or, I just have a very... There is a very formative thing, and this is actually something I've been wrestling with, in my real political life is that I remember as a scientist myself, some of the pivotal and formative events of my political awareness of how things work in this country were in this vein where it was X. This happens a lot. Yeah. Like where X regressive politician dislikes certain moral issue and therefore takes it out on people researching it or doing Mm -hmm. scientific work around it. And therefore they find some study the government is doing where we're literally spending like a fraction of a fraction of a penny of the federal budget on, uh, on whatever the politician's bugaboo is or, and make a whole fucking demon case out of it about like, Oh my God, we're spending the taxpayers money on studying whores and heroin addicts. Yeah. And it's very, um, Unfortunately, it is a it is an effective tactic in this country, mm-hmm. not only because our fucking society is deeply and violently individualistic, but there's a lot of I mean, we are also fundamentally anti-intellectual um, and it serves as a like a perfect encapsulation of the wedge into we're not 
actually talking about science. We are nope. talking about abortion. Culture war. And yep. culture war bullshit. That's it, all this boils down to, ultimately. And it's it's hilarious that it's treated as, like, this giant scandal that, you know, it's Ellie Bartlett, and therefore, it's, oh, it's the president's kid, and this is a huge scandal. It's like, isn't this so fucking quaint compared to actual president's children in real life? <laughs> like, well, now we've got two episodes with two quaint-ass scandals in a row. It's like, oh, no, the VP... Yeah. Had a had a one night stand with the press secretary. No, that that scandal already happened. Uh, <laughs> okay. Technically, Fair they're just enough. worried about the book reporting about <laughs> <Yes>. the scandal. <laughs> it's just it's this, so. This is technically at least a new scandal. <laughs> it's just so seemingly trivial, and un, again, yes. I unfortunately I say this out of one side of my mouth and recognize but that it, it does happen. It yes. happens in real life and it fucking works, which sucks. So, so fair enough. But I'm just saying that the episode treats it with like, Oh such yeah. 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 Dramatic, dramatic import. Like it does happen. But the fact that it is Ellie is like, now it's a huge scandal on like the Bartlett family name. And they have to have this big, you know, hearing out. And she actually comes back to the white house and her and her dad have this big, epic fight about and slash meltdown about what's going on. Well, so actually this is kind of from my perspective, again, as a scientist, this was more an interesting, a sort of interesting exchange with the president, and his daughter. So they're in the, they're in the presidential kitchen, you know, it was where, very telling from a family dynamic standpoint. I'll say that much. Yeah. So the, the president's position on it is that, Ellie must come to the defense of the administration or speak out to the effect that it repudiates the accusation of favoritism, basically. In essence, yeah. She just come out and explain why you're doing what you're doing and where scientific research comes from. And we have to study everything because you never know where, you know, a discovery is going to come from. And, you know, that's the administration line. That gets brought up from, like, Josh and the president and everyone like that. And Ellie is just like, no, I just, like, I, you guys are the politicians. I'm the private one who just does, quietly does research on her own time. I'm not giving a speech. I'm a private person. And, yeah, Bartlett is just like, no, it has to be you because then it clears the air or something. Uh, yeah. I can't even really tell. Don't. I can't even really tell why because the... I don't understand why it has to be Ellie yeah. who gives the speech. So the the locus of power around which, like, that's in dispute isn't actually, like, the scientist or even necessarily the science being done. It's the funding that is provided by the government right. to right. It's, the uh, lab. Some, reli- some religious Congress critter woman is the one, like, leading the push and she's, you know, got, got her hair up in arms about, and is like, you know, there's $2 billion of funding. And I'm like, $2 billion? Go fuck yourself. The federal budget is $6 trillion. That's $6,000 billion. And you're here to quibble about two of it? Fuck off. <laughs> like, that's yeah. my response. Yeah. And I think, uh, although the episode doesn't articulate it particularly well, the whole the whole Bartlett family is somewhat naive about this, except I will note, except for Abby who fucking rules because she, she's still yes. on her trip about re like 
I actually know about so, going and uh, going and volunteering at the free clinic. So, yeah. B- before I get into that, basically, it's just like they have this this perspective again that we mentioned earlier of if we just use the correct words and right. appeal to people's rational understanding of what these things mean, this will result in the the air being cleared and then we're good. Right. And so whether Every, that's everyone will get it. And yeah, this is exactly what CJ was trying to do on the Taylor show. And that's what at the end, the culmination of this is that Ellie goes and gives a big speech about the you know, the beauty of science and and why we do government research and whatnot. And and in the liberal fantasy, this makes the issue go away. <laughs> For all time. <laughs> well, and it's just like fucking, like you said, it's just like fucking CJ on Jay Moore's show. It's just like, mm-hmm. and and in 2021, again, when this is, has a, you know, stark political valence nowadays, I'm listening to Ellie give this speech and being like, what the fuck is an NMDA receptor, you dork? And yeah. that is how, that is how Americans would perceive this. If, if yeah. they, again, as the if Democrats, exactly. Like, as for, the Democrats off, assume that everybody does. <laughs> first off, like who's watching <laughs> yeah. the president's daughter give some random speech at like three in the afternoon or whatever? On <laughs> there's there's a post that I C-span. saw. <laughs> there's a post I saw today that was like in an indictment of exactly that. It's just like the Democrats just presume that everybody sees every communication. They put right. out. It's just like right, what the and, fuck and is therefore wrong with you? the the air is cleared. So this this kind of just the the episode title is is a por si muove, which is Italian for and yet it moves, um, which is right an apo- uh, like it's an apocryphal story about what Galileo said. In, right. So this is this is what I love about their family dynamic is that Bartlett starts spinning the exact story that you're spinning right now about Galileo and the apocryphal tale and Ellie just like shut the fuck up dad it is <laughs> yeah. apocryphal and you do all this trivia bullshit and like no it doesn't fucking matter let's talk about the real issue and I'm like man that exposes so much of their family dynamic that it's just like Bartlett <laughs> is constantly doing this and Ellie is so fed up with it it's and well, and frankly, like we've, I've remarked on this, especially before words. And when I'm watching with Emma, usually I'll just be like, oh, here comes president exposition again, where it's just mm-hmm. like in 1841, a young man <laughs> right. started a business in Massachusetts. He just, <laughs> he just starts out of fucking nowhere. If I was his kid, it would drive me insane too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, Ellie has the right read on the power in the situation because like he didn't fucking say that because they just would have killed him. They right. would they just li- cut his fucking head off. They literally intimidated him into silence, and you're trying to say that, like, oh, wasn't he so brave for for <sighs> continuing to to spout, uh, you know, anti heliocentrism? So, the I don't know. It's just a completely ass backwards perspective on the relationship of the American public to power and science. Yeah, and, and how you would make this kind of issue go away. Like, it could go away. It doesn't go away. It's just part of the discourse now. Well, yeah, and I think that's the, the, the big takeaway is that ultimately, and so there's a, there's a very awkward that I really disliked. There is a interaction between Debbie Fitterer and Ellie because Ellie is doing work on papillomavirus vaccines and Debbie comes in and talks with her and... The 
the words of this interaction are meant to be like, thank you for the work you're doing. Right. Do not quit. Like, don't give in right. to these assholes. Right. Because my, my sister died from cervical cancer. Exactly. You know, like you're doing the hard, necessary work. And like, God, if there had only been a vaccine. But the tone oh. is so fucking like harsh and accusatory. And like, and like, don't you fucking dare quit. Like, it's a threat. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she, I think she says work harder. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm working, working well, pretty hard, Debbie. Like, I well, can only... you know, the Protestant work ethic <laughs> yes. of worship of this show is off the charts as we constantly talk about how everyone's working till fucking three in the morning, seven days a week. Well, and it's again, it's just Debbie's the flippant one. You wrote it right here. Right. She's always light and flippant. And now it's right. just like, s- and I get it, her sister. Her sister died and it's serious, but it's just like the tone. Again, everything is just a little more incompetent now that Sorkin's off the show. I feel like Sorkin would have managed this interaction perfectly. Yes, I, and uh, it is. It could an, be the same words and it's just all in like the yes. direction and tone. Yeah, ag- agreed. And and how it's meant to, to, to carry off because, and this is so the fun part of this episode, because this is delivered right. from Debbie to Ellie while they are watching <laughs> the, the Muppets. The Muppets! Who are visiting yeah. the White House. Yay! And, yeah. Every, everything with the Muppets is delivered in the perfect tone. And I'm guessing that's <laughs> probably because like the Muppets people were the ones like creating their own content for that part of it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised and I haven't looked this up i wouldn't be surprised if like the the not when he's on camera but the elmo lines that are off screen are right. completely improvised are just improv <laughs> yeah and now that sorkin's not on the show anymore that could probably fly because sorkin had famously like hated improv and was like no 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 you stick exactly to the script but now that sorkin's not there i bet that could have happened yeah and apparently and I was going to kind of try and do a little bit of research about this, but Kevin Clash, who was the guy who basically made Elmo Elmo, had a lot of sex pestery accusations going on, but mm. apparently was cleared oh, okay. as recently as like 2015. So okay. that's yeah, good. <laughs> the reason the Muppets are here is because uh, Abby is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, trying to volunteer at the DC free clinic to help give, like, kids vaccinations and stuff. <laughs> LOL vaccinations, by the way. <laughs> yes. uh, Welcome. Which which is really funny with Ellie's final speech about, like, you know, let's not politicize science and whatever and, like, living in the COVID vaccination era. And, and uh, to be fair, we, we have an HPV vaccine now, so thank you, Ellie. Right. Yeah, so she 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 did indeed work hard. You you threatened her good, Debbie. Good job. <laughs> good job, fictional Ellie. Um, but yeah, Abby is going to resume her her duty. You know, vol- or not resume, but vo- st- take up volunteering. And CJ is still freaking out about it because, like, well, what about that whole thing with like giving up your you know, you're not a doctor anymore, or like whatever. And she's like, well, no, I am a doctor. And it's like, okay, I know how to do fix this. You go on Muppets. Yeah. And she's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, what? And she's like, you don't understand the power of Muppets. And she like lays it out. <laughs> and she's right, by the way, of course, oh, the power of, of Muppets is, is fucking huge. Uh, and, and everyone should go on Muppets if you're, if you're mm-hmm. a good person, uh, you know? And so the, she lays it out and Abby's like, okay. Abby instantly gets it as like, I am on board. And then they get the Muppets to come in the White House and they do a whole funny thing with Elmo 
when Elmo's like, but didn't you give up your medical license? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they also have the the Big Bird joke, which was made before in the show with mm-hmm. CJ, where they actually just, they do it pretty well again. We'll, uh, we'll give the I'll writers say- brief props. It's a classy it's a classy execution of the joke because nothing is said. They just put CJ next to Big Bird and let you and let you fill in the blanks. But they also write it in because she literally says when she hears they're coming, she leans right. over and goes, Oh sure, because nobody's made a joke about me and Big Bird before. <laughs> right. I think it was to Will she says that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you said earlier in the notes, I, this just reminded me of this. Like, so it's just the status quo that we all fucking hate Will now yeah. for being a traitor. Did... And the an- the answer is yes. Yes, that is, that is indeed the <laughs> yes. status quo. We definitely just hate Will now. <laughs> all Fuck of him. our all of our mains fucking hate Will because <laughs> he has decided to go work for the vice president, part of the same team, and the guy who will presume to run after Bartlett. Yes, definitely. You know, he's a bad guy, even though he's Fu- the second. What a command. fucking Benedict Arnold, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we get uh, Abby hamming it up with Elmo. Uh, we get Big Bird doing a thing. The CJ uh, aspect wraps up, and this is just. I. We were pissed about CJ and Hoynes because the writers are just like, oh, we can pull this out of our asses and just you know, degrade the character development of this just for cheap drama. And now we get the most robotic, weird. Oh, right. Yeah. I described it as uncanny Valley relationship building. Right. So over the last few episodes, there's been this whole on and off thing going on with like, oh, Ben tried to call. Who's Ben? And, you know, we got the the, he got the serial killer (laughs) reveal, right, in in the one episode. But they haven't actually like physically met and interacted yet. So they finally this is the first time they they meet face to face. And the first time they meet, CJ is just like, all right, Ben, I'm in. Let's resume our relationship. I'm totally down. Whatever you want. And Ben hasn't had like a second to speak. And then she just like kisses him and leaves. And it's like, yes, this is how humans resume relationships. This this is, excuse me, (laughs) fellow human organism. I would like to commence sexual relations with you. Like, I... Are you you agreeable? Excellent. (laughs) I just... It is so weird because we don't hear Ben say much and we no, don't hardly at all. We we also don't have a feel or any I mean honestly we don't have any. We don't have any screen time between the two of them establishing that they have the level of rapport necessary or, to then or do chemistry this. or yeah. anything. Yeah, and yeah. as you said, we don't even see them outside of her work environment at all. You know, every every time it's been in her office or, like, in the press room. Which, we don't even see them on a date outside of the White House, you know? Yeah, or like I mean... Or, like, go grab lunch or something to catch up. Like, nothing. It's it's probably not deliberate, but that's fucking pathological, too. Where it's just like, oh, yeah. nope, everything occurs within these four walls. Like, <laughs> yeah. fuck. Yeah. So, it's just really weird subplot where they try to force us... Where's Danny Kincannon, by the way? I know. Like, no shit, if, right? <laughs> Which eventually they'll finally bring him out of like hibernation or whatever and get them to hook up, but that doesn't happen to like season seven or whatever. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure. So I think it's just it, and uh, the guy who plays 
Ben, the love interest, it's, is just yeah, he's it's like a real and... yeah, it's a real nothing burger, like just very vanilla dude. You know, he is an actor dude. He's a man. Yeah, and that's you, that's the I can tell you he is a man. He is about forty something. Yeah, and that's hair. that's the quality that matters. <laughs> it's just yeah. I... he he has hair. He's he's tall, <laughs> and you can tell that they try to like liven it up because you have Carol dropping in all the time to be like, oh, tee tee hee hee. Yeah, like isn't this cute? <laughs> right. This is actually very cute and romantic. We swear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We swear. We're really trying to push you that this is cute and romantic, but there's like nothing there. And well, and I swear to God, if like this was happening next to me in an office setting, I'd just be like, should I be calling uh, HR about this? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is yeah. Also, also that part. But yeah. Um. um yeah. Yeah. So that pretty much. And then, uh, so what happens with Bob Russell? Why? Why are you? We saying he's competent. Oh, so he does some he does some manipulation where it's like he's using Will's uh, fuck. Oh, Bob <laughs> Russell is the guy. Bob Russell is the guy who has leaked the list of scientific study sponsorships. Oh, so right. He and this is it was he uses Will's research on right. it. Because right. he and tells why, him that he's that's like... That's why Toby is so pissed at Will, in particular, this episode. He, he tells Will that he's going to use it as like a platform plank or something, and then goes behind his back and leaks it to this other... As, as like oppo research, basically. Exactly. Yeah, and he's like, what, you didn't do oppo research when you were campaigning? You know, like, we gotta distance ourselves from Bartlett a little. I gotta be my own brand. Yeah, which is... Which is shitty, but again, quite but competent. competent from a political standpoint. Right. Um, exactly. And yet he will end up losing the primary to Jimmy Smith's. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I the, the this is one aspect to which I will give the season five writers credit is that they really try to do yes. stuff with Bob Russell that otherwise There's... I feel like would have been passed off. Correct, and they're trying to set him up as the next thing, as like there's more to this guy than you think, and uh, which is and I which like has always like been it's... what they're trying to push with this character. And Gary Cole does a good job; he's a good guy for that. Yeah, Where, I like, like that. He's sort of unassuming, but he can pull off these like competent moves every now and then. Where you're like, oh shit, Bingo Bob, huh? Yeah, and and in in that regard, it's it's good. It's just this issue is. Again, just like uh, right. the, like scientific McCarthyism, like way to go. This is now yeah. just a hard coded into American life. So yeah, like, and he's just creating unnecessary flack for the administration for no good reason. And it's like, dude, you're like three years out from your primary. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, just maybe maybe slow roll like, it no, a little. No, bit. no one's gonna care about you until like four weeks before Iowa anyway. So it's like, <laughs> cal- calm the hell down. And the very last thing that we will care about is that. Well, about six minutes before the episode's over, guess what? A Supreme Court justice dies. And it's not the one you're thinking of. (laughs) It's not the guy who's made several appearances already. Right. Not the guy who we've seen in a hospital bed, like, with (laughs) very serious complications clearly going on. Nope, it's some 52-year-old who we've never met before, dropped dead of a heart attack. Some young schmuck. Either way, 
He he gone. And and this is like you literally say. So we can actually hear. Uh, fuck it. I'll keep talking. With the the reason that this happens is so this is the sixteenth episode of the mm-hmm. season. Um, mm-hmm. The writers are realizing that they need something to get over the hump into election, which they're probably just right. looking at season six and salivating over right. the idea of being like, oh, thank fucking God we can start writing for the election again. Well, and also this is around like the, the time like mini sweeps happens, right? Like mm. in the season arc, roughly, I want to okay. say. Like like November, December, there's like a mini sweeps before like actual sweeps week or something like that. That's why a lot of shows have like these big, you know, arc episodes uh, like The Supremes, which is about to be our next episode, thanks to uh, random 52-year-old kicking <laughs> yes. the bucket. Well, it's just, it seems, I don't know, I don't know how, I would love to know how this happened, how this decision happened, because Like, they like clearly... why not just kill the guy who you have set up is on death's door? <laughs> so, they clearly had, you know, spoilers, Glenn Close and William Fickner lined up. Right. Because those are... Clearly. Even in yeah. 2004, you, like Glenn Close, you gotta yes, book but that even in, in 2004, advance. William Fickner's a big ass name. Like, yeah, you, know. you you book those two in advance. So they know this is coming, and they manage they manage it six minutes before they <laughs> yeah. need to start devoting screen time to these people. Right. <laughs> like, which is weird because I've actually been praising them in this episode for doing the back work on some of these subplots. Mm-hmm. Where for the past two or three episodes, you know, we had the Jay Moore. We had the Ben, you know, it wasn't executed well, but we had it. Yes. And now out of nowhere, we just like, oh, by the way, Justice died. <laughs> and I mean, if you guys don't don't watch these episodes, but if you have, you'll note that it's literally out of nowhere. They just they're yes. just kind of tootling around and then all of a sudden, yep. oops, all of a sudden, oh, well, well, we just got the call from whoever <laughs> monitors this sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, Desk on Twitter says, oops, Supreme Court Justice strokes out. Yeah. Uh. And and that pretty much does it uh, for this particular episode, and that leads us right into the Supremes, which Uh, we will cover. The Supremes. Next time uh, with special guest, Emma. Yes, she has made it clear that she wants to join us again because Glenn, and again, I'll give it to her, Glenn Close fucking rules. Yes, um, I, I love Glenn Close. Who can, who doesn't? So that's coming up. And honestly, actually, while we're talking about it, if I'm going to recommend an episode to our audience that they should watch, watch this is the one. episode 17 of season five. You should do it. Yep. This is this is the good one. We will we'll still look at it from a critical eye and tear it apart. But compared to the rest of season five, I definitely think this is a gem that rises above the uh, the croft. Yeah, and I think um, you know, because again, as a as a scholar of the show and as an experiencer of it in we real really time, we really are now. Keep keep that in mind. That's that's a bona fide you get to keep true. for life now. <laughs> I I am catching up to my wife, but I still I don't have like the scripts embedded in my brain quite yet. But she fair, will be joining enough. us next time we record. Hopefully, sometime within the next two weeks, and that will be again. It's a good episode. You should watch it if you want to. All right. So that does it for this episode of The Worst Wing. Thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. Uh, if you have any comments, suggestions, feedback, etc., yeah, feel free to drop us a line in either of our threads, uh, or you can shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com.
Nice, which reminds me, I should check that more often. <laughs> uh, you should. There might be fan mail in there. Uh, like that one time. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening, and oh we'll my see God. you next. Oh, my God. I'm putting this on tape right now. We got Literally it. three days ago, an email from a fan. Boom. Hey! <laughs> chuck Thank chuck you. the second one up on the board. Thank you to Ryan. I'm not going to dox you further, but thank you for emailing. Shout out to... Shout out to Ryan. Thanks for listening. We love you. We appreciate your patronage. And uh, we will see you the next time to discuss one episode all by itself here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Bye. money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.